Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Well, good morning. We are so glad that you're here this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Wes. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And man, we are, we're really excited that you're here. Um, and I'm super excited to preach this morning. And I believe God's got a word for you. Um, well, if you're here this morning, you're in week two of our Luke series. Um, and we're so excited because we are going through um, just this section of the book of Luke that many theologians will title, The Good News of the Kingdom. And we're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God, but I want to back up just a little bit because the way the kingdom of God shows up on earth is God sends this guy, his name's John the Baptist, maybe you've heard of him, and he shows up and he's a little bit weird. He eats bugs and he wears weird clothes and he lives in the wilderness, like he's a weird dude, but he's proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And in Matthew and Mark and John, in those gospels, he'll say this, he'll say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. What that means is that the kingdom of God is not just something that existed in the past, and it's not just something that will exist in the future, but it means that the kingdom of God is here now, which means we've got to do something with that, right? As believers, we've got to respond to that reality, and in Luke, he's going to introduce John the Baptist in a little bit different of a way. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, the people were waiting expectantly And they were all wondering if their hearts of John might possibly be the Messiah. Then in the next verse, John goes on to say this. One who is more powerful than I will come. See, what this tells us, when John the Baptist shows up, he's going to make a declaration about Jesus. That when Jesus shows up, he's not just going to show up, he's going to show up in power. And he's going to show up with a lot of power. And he's going to show up ready to show us how to use that power, which is great news for us because we love power, right? I mean, it's what most good movies are based on, so I hear. Um, if you don't know me, I'm not a big movie watcher, so. but here's what I do know is that every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is based on power. Every movie, and I, there's like a hundred of these now, but every Star Wars movie is based on power. We love power, In fact, when we study things like history and we look at things like sports, there are men and women at various levels where they have power, and we love to evaluate their power. People like Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, Steve Jobs, Alexander the Great, Hitler, Jerry Jones, Napoleon, right? I didn't put those in any particular order. The point is, they all have power, and there's two things that tend to be the root of those people's story. Where did their power come from, and then how did they use it? So the world's going to tell you there are places to look for power, and if I'm being honest, they're they're just all a lie. Like, they're just a lie, and we're going to look at a few of them this morning. One of them is power from self. This is the lie that you can do it. You can be whatever you want to be. Respectfully, I've watched enough episodes of American Idol, The Voice, and every other singing show to tell you not everybody can be what they want to be. Right? There's not enough kale or gems in the world to make me the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. I can't even ride a bike, much less throw a football, right? Like, there's not, I can't be whatever I want to be. It's a lie, but the self-help industry, this blew my mind this week, $13 billion in America. 
Let me break this down for you. Just so you know, the self-help belief is that you can do it yourself. So we as Americans are spending $13 billion to go get help from people to tell us we don't need help because it exists in here. But what you and I both know is it doesn't exist in here. That is the message of the gospel, that we are broken and messed up and desperately need someone else. Our friend Shane Pruitt, he was here in the earlier service. He says self cannot be the solution if self is a part of the problem, right? So power doesn't come from self. Power, oftentimes the world will tell you that it'll come from position. If I can just get that promotion at work, if they would just trust me to make all the decisions. Can we stop there? Have you met you? (laughs) Have you met me? That sounds like a horrible plan, right? Give one person all the decision-making power. We're broken. We're messed up. And we know power from position doesn't work. Um, How many parents we have in the room? How long did because I said so work? (laughs) Right? Not long until they got to that one word. No, right? Power from position doesn't work. And the last place the world will tell you to get power is from money. If I just had more money, everything would be all right. If I just had more money, I'd have more influence. If I just had more money, I'd have more power. Did you know that there is an amount of money that exists in the world, in the world's eyes, that if you could get this amount of money, you would be financially secure and you would hold all the power in the world? Do you know what that amount of money is? More, more money. Right? Like that's what the world's going to tell you is that power comes from money, position, or yourself. But can I tell you, that's not what the kingdom of God is like. See, power in the kingdom of God is very different. And that's because Jesus is all powerful. Churchy word for this is um, Jesus' omnipotence. It's the idea that God holds all the power in his hands. And the reason this power is so different is because the king of this kingdom is the king of all kingdoms. The Lord of this kingdom is the Lord of all kingdoms. See, all the power that exists is God's power, and what he does with it and uses his power for is critical to understanding how the kingdom of God works. So if you just allow me a soapbox moment for a moment, this means we have to be really careful about how we talk about Jesus. Here's what I mean. And if you're wearing any of these shirts I'm really sorry, Um, and I'll meet you at Connect Corner right after this um, and apologize, but here we go. Um, Jesus is my homeboy. He's not your homeboy. Um, Jesus is my co-pilot. It's a really weird depiction of Jesus, by the way. By the way, these are all real shirts that exist in the world. This one, Jesus is my coach. I'm not going to lie. Jesus dunking on that kid is awesome, (laughs) but, but not accurate. And then this one, this is weird, y'all. This is one of the most popular shirts in, the Christian, in Christian culture today. Jesus is my boyfriend. Um, and we, like, part of me, like, wants to laugh, and then the other part of me just, like, wants to scream. Because, not to offend you or your t-shirts or your coffee mugs, he's the Lord of all creation. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's always existed. He'll forever exist. He's got all the power of the world in his hands. He's not your boyfriend or your co-pilot or your homeboy or your coach. He's Jesus, God of creation. So we have to be careful. We got to be careful how many weird Christian t-shirts that we wear around non-believers because Jesus is not just our coach. He's our Lord. 
sorry, steps off soapbox and gets back to the sermon. Um, you know, this is why I'm passionate about this. He's the all-powerful king of the world. And for some reason, in his power, he decided to invite me and you in relationship with him. And he went, in my power, you can be a part of this. And that should blow our mind. And he shows up in Luke chapter 4, and he starts his earthly ministry. He kind of walks out of the wilderness being tempted. We talked about that last week. And he starts with a, really, a couple of really interesting interactions that teach us things about the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It says this, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. And amazement came over them all. And they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to spread to every place in the vicinity. See, in this moment, Jesus declares he possesses power over the unseen world, which comes with a reality that we have to kind of wrestle with this morning, is that there is an unseen world. That there is a world that you and I cannot see. And if I'm being honest, I told you earlier, I'm not a movie guy, and I'm definitely not a horror movie guy. Out on that, I'm scared of everything, like uh, birds, snakes, spiders, heights, all of them. Yes, you heard birds right. Um, <laughs> see, when I hear things like demons and holy water and healing, I go, well, I'm good. But um, can I just tell you, this reality, the spiritual reality, is a reality in our, in our scripture that we have to wrestle with. See, the world is a battle. It is a real war. It is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. It is the kingdom of darkness pushing against the kingdom of light. And there are angels on the kingdom of God's side, and their job is to draw you and I as close to Jesus as possible. And on the other side, there is the kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan, and he has demons. And their job is to distract us from the kingdom of God is to move us away from Jesus. You see, there is a war at stake for the souls of every person in this room. Here's what I mean, is that if we tore back reality and we could see the unseen world, I believe there are angels and demons fighting in this room over you right now. That there is a real battle, and Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers of this dark world, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. See, we must realize as believers our battle is against a real enemy, and our battle is actually not against each other. And I think you know this battle is real, because you have moments like the one we just had in worship, right? Where you can feel the Spirit of God moving, and it's incredibly powerful. And for some of you, you wrestled for the whole time of worship this morning. You went, I don't have to engage in that. And the enemy fed you a lie. You can't engage. That's not for you. But if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that is constantly pushing you to move closer to the King, to move closer to Jesus. And that's that voice in your head that's going, man, 
this is for you. This message is for you. The word of God is for you. And maybe you're not a believer, and maybe you felt some sort of urge in worship, or maybe you're feeling it now. Could I tell you, if you feel that movement from the Holy Spirit, I believe that's God drawing you to himself. He's ready for you to make a decision for him. See, what's so interesting about this story, if you missed it, is there is someone in the story that recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the demons. Right? He throws the demon out in the synagogue and he starts to yell, you are the Holy One of God. And the demons know and they understand his power. Which teaches us something. Just because we know his power doesn't mean we're on his team. And that's really tough. Because sometimes we look at kids, and I can be guilty of this with teenagers, like, if you just believe in God. Can I tell you, belief in God, not enough to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not. Surrender trust in the lordship of Jesus to lord over your life absolutely is enough to be in the kingdom of God, and we're ready for that. But belief alone isn't enough to be in the kingdom of God. What we, we know that because the demons are proclaiming their belief in Jesus' power. See, the other thing we see in the story is when there's positive movement for the kingdom of God, the enemy hates it. Like this guy, he's at the synagogue, and he gets, a demon gets cast out from him, and it just reminded me of this reality, that in your life, sometimes things go wrong, right? Anybody? Things ever went wrong? Yep. Sometimes that's a result of our sin. Sometimes that's a result of our, the broken world we live in. But often, sometimes, as a believer, it's because you're making positive momentum for the kingdom of God, and the enemy's like, I'm going to throw every obstacle and every distraction in your way so that you can't do that. So that I could create, <coughs> sorry, so that he cre could create a gap in trust, and then you would be out. So sometimes when obstacles come, it's because we're actually moving in the right direction. What I love about this story is we see that the power of Jesus crushes the enemy, though. I love how it says this in our trans my translation. It just says, that he took the demon out of him, threw him down, and shut him up. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I would just say, it's just a representation that this war is not actually a war. That one day, in the flash of a blink of an eye and in the snap of a finger, Jesus is going to go, we won. It's not going to be a fight. And the reaction of the people here is so interesting. It says in Luke 4.36, it says, amazement came over them all. And when they, saw God, see, when they saw God do something unexplainable, they sat in it. They enjoyed it. They watched it happen. They believed it could change other people. It actually says they went out and told other people. And if I could be honest as a church, this is where I think we're at right now. Where we're watching a movement of God. We're watching people come to faith. We're watching people serve and give and love well for the first time in their life. And it's amazing. And I don't want to be guilty of missing it. And I don't want you to be guilty of missing it. You see, <clears throat> amazement and awe comes over them in this moment where God moves. Even this morning. This morning, we had two people, Xander and Hayden, give their life to Jesus and get baptized. And so, yeah, yes, exactly. Here's, and if we can be honest, some of us already forgot. Right? Because our life moves so fast. But two young men gave their life and went from death to life this morning, and I want that to dominate our day. So we could be reminded of how awesome God is, that it's amazing that he's called people from darkness into light. See, awe is a powerful thing. 
all just means this. It means emotional experience where we are overwhelmed by vastness or greatness. Kind of sounds like worship, if I'm being honest. But secular psychology, catch that, secular psychology is going to teach us something about awe. It teaches us this, that it will enhance our feelings of belonging, time availability, generosity, spirituality, and humility. So maybe the reason some of us, even in this room, we come to church every Sunday and we don't feel connected, we don't feel like we belong, we don't feel like we have a group, or maybe we feel too busy to serve or feel too busy to take the next step that God wants us to take, or maybe we're too strapped to give or we feel like we can't be generous in other areas or we're struggling in humility, maybe it's because we haven't had enough awe moments. Maybe it's because we haven't prioritized amazement. Maybe it's because we haven't spent time with the Lord, which we'll talk about a little bit later. See, awe is powerful. And they get it in Luke chapter 4, verse 36, amazement came over them all. See, Jesus shows his power over the unseen world. Then he's going to go in and he's going to show his power over the seen world, which is awesome. In verse 38, it says this, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. That's Peter. Um, He'll get his name changed in a little bit. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up immediately and began to serve them. See, Jesus has power over what we can see. And if we can be honest, this is hard, right? Because there is still brokenness. There is still lack of healing. There is still sin. There is still a mess. It gives us an opportunity to talk about just a theological concept. It's possessed power versus exercised power. You see, God possesses all the power in the universe. He has it. But he doesn't always choose to exercise it. Right now, his power is not fully exercised, but what we see in the Gospels is there are moments where Jesus shows up and he exercises his power. That's why he walks into Simon's uh, mother-in-law's house and says, you're healed. That's a moment where God shows his power. And our response in those moments oftentimes isn't great. It's, why doesn't he heal everyone? Why doesn't he do that for me? Why doesn't he always do this? And if I could just be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know why. Here's what I do know. God is bigger, smarter, and infinitely more powerful than I am. And his plan is to give people time to choose to follow him. But there will be one day where he will exercise his power over everything. Where he'll exercise his power over all sex trafficking, cancer, disease, injustice, racism, poverty, refugee crises, terrorism, and all brokenness and evil. One day he will exercise all of his power. But until then, how we respond when he does exercise his power matters a lot. Because it, t- it teaches other people things about God. See, it can't be skepticism. It can't be questioning. But our reaction has to be the same reaction as Peter's mother-in-law. In verse 39, it says, she got up immediately and began to serve them. I'd never noticed this, and um, I kind of think of, he- I, for a long time I thought of healing like in numbers. That sounds weird. Um, but like if I'm sick, then I'm like at a negative 10. And if I could just get Jesus to heal me back to zero... 
We could like move further in the kingdom of God, right? Like if I could just get back to normal, whatever that means. Like if I could just get back to this place. But that's not what happens here. He, she goes from sick to serving in an instant. And I, I love this because what it means is that when Jesus shows up with healing, he heals for a purpose. He heals so that people would see him. Says she got up and served them immediately. You know who them was? Jesus. The guy who just healed her. It's an incredible expression of gratitude, which gives us um, our first real application point. And if for no other reason, just to humor me, I want you to try something this week. When you wake up every day, I just want you to write down three things that you're grateful for every day. Just start your morning going, here's what God has given me. Oftentimes we think about all the things that God has not done for us yet. But if we could just start our day with, here's three things that God has done for me, I promise you it will change your perspective. Because oftentimes I believe what happens, and I've seen it in my own life, is I ask God for something over and over and over and over and over, and then he does it, and then I never say thank you, and then I forget. And I don't want to be guilty of that, so I would challenge you to show gratitude this week. See, then you see, you get power over the unseen world, power over the seen world, and then you see the reach of his power. And if I could be honest, this is my favorite part of the whole thing. Luke 4, 40, when the sun was setting, it's been a long day. Jesus has done a lot of work, right? When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And as he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. And also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Did you catch that? Anyone who knew anyone. Anyone that knew anyone who was sick brought them to Jesus. And then he stood there after a really long day. He's been at the synagogue. He's been at Peter's house. Then he shows up here. He's tired. And then anyone who could bring anyone shows up. And he heals all of them. And you see the unlimited nature of God's power. But I think what you see here is you see his willingness to something that Scripture teaches us. He's willing that all should come to repentance. He's willing that all should come to him. And he stays and he heals them. It teaches us that no one's too far gone. You go, Wes, you don't know my situation, my struggle, my sickness. And I would just respectfully say, anyone. The text said anyone. And if you don't think you're anyone, it's anyone who knows anyone. So somebody knows you and they can bring you. See, he's willing that anyone would come. See, Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He has the power to reach the most wretched sinner and the power to reach the people furthest away from God. And he wants to offer them spiritual healing. And maybe today you showed up and you're doubting that's for you. Look at the demons. They get thrown out of people and they start screaming, he's the Messiah. See, and he, Jesus looks at him and he's like, shut up. And he silences them. That's because he's not ready for people to know that he's the Messiah yet. He's kind of going to un unveil that later in his story. But I would just tell you that the demons know he's the Messiah. You can know he's the Messiah. And it's for anyone anyone. It's for you this morning if you walked in 
doubting. See, that's the reach of his power, and then you get to the source of his power. This is where we're going to camp out most of the morning. Luke 4, 42, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, it's necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Have you ever hid somewhere so nobody will find you? Just me? Have you ever hid in another building on campus hoping your boss wouldn't find you? <laughs> me either. Um, um, parents in the room, have you ever hid in the bathroom and gone, maybe they won't find me here? <laughs> and then you heard it. Yep, they found you. That's what happens to Jesus here, right? He has a really long day. It says he woke up early the next morning. He went off, made his way to a deserted place. And then it says, and they went looking for him. <laughs> Which means they know something. There's power there. And they find him. But what you see here is like the humanity of Jesus. See, what we believe is that Jesus, when he was on earth and now, is 100% God and 100% man. That he is everything of who God is supposed to be, and he is everything of what man was supposed to be. So he's tired. And he goes, and he prioritizes time with his father. You see, his humanity was dependent on his relationship with the father. He has this incredibly impactful moment, followed by this weird statement. He went out and made his way to a deserted place. An intentional move to solitude. An intentional move to quiet. When was the last time you had quiet? That was only five seconds. That's the longest quiet many of us have had in weeks, right? Could I just ask you to prioritize some quiet this week? Just find some time to get alone with the Lord. See, this story, this... Um, account of Jesus teaches us things about our lives as believers. See, if you don't get anything else out of today, you have to get this to get the next six weeks. So if you've tuned out, tune in just so you'll be here for the next six weeks. Um, the, one of the coolest parts of the kingdom of God is that it was extended to us. Like, do you realize that God could do all of this without us? That he could do this whole plan and go, done. But instead, he says, Come be a part of the kingdom. It actually will say that we're, inherit, like, um, that we're heirs of the kingdom of God, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Come be a part of the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean for us? That means that there's kingdom power in us. You see, in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive what? Power. If you haven't got that, we're going to talk a lot about power today. But when we talk about power in our faith, it's a little bit weird in our Christian culture today. Um, there's a reason for that. There's a, a movement of people. It's called the Word of Faith Movement. You might have heard it as the prosperity gospel. And there are famous preachers that you see on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They're everywhere. And can I tell you, a lot of their stuff sounds good, it just isn't good. And it isn't biblical. So we've got to be careful of what we listen to. Here's what the Word of Faith movement will, will do. 
It are, they are famous preachers, famous people who try to manipulate our faith as if it is a force that we can mess with. They make statements like, well, if you just had enough faith, then God will da 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 If you would give enough, then God will show up for you. And our God is not a cosmic vending machine waiting on our coins, spitting out what we want. See, what I've learned in my journey as a believer is that you can be a person full of faith, full of trust in God, and still sick, and still struggle, and still suffer. And to me, that is biblical. We see that all over Scripture. And I was reminded of that in a funeral service in here about a week ago for a lady named um, Lynn Skinner. Many of you don't know her. I knew her. Um, when I got here, I got to Crossroads. I was a 17-year-old, really broken, really messed up kid who was struggling with my faith. And I walked into a Bible study, and there was Pam Wilson and Pam Mills and Lynn Skinner. And what I didn't realize was that Wednesday night when I showed up, it was going to be the beginning of something. That for three to four years, every Wednesday night, I would sit at Primo's with Pam Mills and Lynn Skinner, and we would talk about our faith. And we'd talk about how to love one another and how to grow. And they loved me incredibly well. I believe I wouldn't be here without those two people. You see, but then Lynn's life changed. At the end of her life, the last couple of years, she, has bat she battled with cancer. But she showed incredible power. She showed kingdom power. She showed incredible faith. She lived an incredible life. And I sat at a memorial service, hundreds of people impacted by this woman who lived in kingdom power even when it was hard. And I couldn't help but ask this question, how do I get that? How do we get that? And I think the Bible has an answer for us, and I just want to share it with you this morning. The first thing is this, and this is backwards in your notes, um, so it's like the last thing, but it's the first thing today. Um, stop giving things power that are powerless in the presence of our king. See, I think this is why we miss kingdom power moments in our faith. Is we've given power to something that doesn't deserve it. The first thing that we've given power to is our past. We go, you don't understand where I've been, what I've done, who I am, so there's no way that God could use me for the kingdom of God, and we are filled with insecurity. Could I tell you, insecurity is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the enemy. It is a tool of the enemy to use so that you would slow down and not make an impact for the kingdom of God. And can we just say, let's stop giving power to it. Stop giving power to our past, our past decisions, because God can absolutely use you in the kingdom of God. The second thing we give power to and don't mishear me here. If you've talked to me for longer than 10 minutes, you know I love community. I, lo I believe it's vitally important. But we give power to people too much. You see, there are so many miracles missed because of this question. What will people think of me? What would people think if I responded with a faith-filled answer? What would people think if I asked to pray for my waiter? What would people think if I stopped and encouraged a stranger? What would people think if I didn't let my kids play sports on Sunday? What would people think if I didn't go to happy hour and get drunk with my coworkers? Can we change the question for a minute? What would God think? What would God think if you didn't go get drunk with your coworkers? What would God think if you prioritized the spiritual growth of your children? What would God think if you encouraged people in the middle of Starbucks? What would God think if you prayed for people when you told them you would. 
he'd be proud. He'd be excited. He'd be a happy dad to go, yes, we did it. So we can't give power to what people think. Because that power doesn't exist when it's in the presence of Jesus. And then the, the last thing we give power to is our pain. Now this one's harder. To be honest, I want to be really sensitive because there's real pain, real struggle, and real hurt in this room right now. There are things, I look around and there are things that I know about and there are an infinite amount of things that I don't know about. And I would tell you, the heart of our church is to give you the power of this, to help you tap into the power of the Spirit and release the power that you've given to your pain. So that's why we have a program on Monday nights that meets at 7 o'clock every Monday, Regen. You can literally start any Monday. You know the reason we do that? Is because we need to have you and I stop giving power to our pain. There's seven of us right now that are walking through a biblical, a biblical counseling certification course. You know why we're doing that? Because there's too many people around us and in our church that have given too much weight and power to their pain, and they need to hand that power to Jesus. That's why for the last several years, we've partnered with a licensed professional counselor in Rowlett, and we've sent dozens of people to her because we believe that there is a burden and there, there is a burden on our heart to make sure we're not giving pain too much power. Doesn't mean we can't deal with it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't deal with it. But there is a moment where God wants to step in and go, no, 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 Acts 1-8, you'll receive real power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we stop giving power to our pain and to other people and to our past. And when we begin to do that, or we stop doing that, we have to begin doing something else. We have to start prioritizing time with the king. You're like, of course, Wes is preaching. Here we are. Read your Bible and pray. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if Jesus needed to spend time with his father, how much more do we need to? Think about that for a minute. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, prioritize time with God, how much more do we need it? See, I believe this, that the most impactful thing that you can do for the kingdom of God and our church is not to serve, to give, or to love people. You should do all those things, by the way. But the most impactful thing you could do for our church today is to invest in your relationship with Jesus. That every day, if every day this week, every person in this room woke up and read the word of God and prayed and spent time in the quiet with the Lord, we would see an incredible movement of God. See, it is the most important thing. Oftentimes, it's the first thing to go, though, right? I don't have time for that. Can I tell you, we can't afford to not have time for that, church. We, we must make time and prioritize time with the king. And I don't just mean Sunday morning. Hey, Sunday morning's my favorite time of the week. I love hanging out with all you guys. But you don't just need God's people. You need God. The people of God are an incredible encouragement in my life, and I love them, and I don't want to take them for granted. But I desperately need time with the king more than I need time with God's people. So this week, find moments to prioritize time with the king. Find moments of awe. Find moments of gratitude. Go outside. Look around. Look up from your phone. If you can't, throw your phone in the lake. Get over it. Like, like we got to... Like, 
find awe, find these moments with God and prioritize it because he wants to give you kingdom power. And when we get kingdom power, what do we do with it? Here's what it's for. We just did a whole series called Breakthrough. Um, it's for that. Um, to demolish strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And when we talk about strongholds sometimes, if I'm being honest, we talk about them like they exist out there. Right? We gotta, man, we gotta find the power to demolish the strongholds of this world. Can we just talk about the strongholds in this room for a moment? That there are things in your life, there are things in my life, transparently, that have too big of a foothold in my life, that have a stronghold on my heart, that have a stronghold on your heart, that have a stronghold that are keeping you from making an impact from the kingdom of God. You see, in this room, there are strongholds of alcoholism, drug abuse, pornography, people-pleasing, codependency, arrogance, pride. All of those things exist in here. You know what also exists in here? The power to be done with it. The power in the name of Jesus through the power of his spirit to demolish the stronghold. Not, don't miss this. Not to give it a little less power in my life. No, no, no. To kill it. To be done with it. For it to be over. Divine power to demolish strongholds. Kingdom power is also to be a witness of the king. See, I've quoted this verse a lot today. It's been intentional. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you see what the next part of that is? To be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the reason we have this power is so that we could be a witness of the king. I want you to do something for me. I do this in student ministry a lot, but we're just going to do this as a church. Um, if you'll just put like both your feet on the floor and then just like stare at the space between your feet. Please don't comment on how dirty the carpet is or how it's not straight because we laid it ourselves. But I just want you to stare at that space for a moment. And then I want you to look at me. You see that space? That's your mission field. That wherever that space goes, that's where God sent you. Turns out, it goes everywhere with you. That space between your feet that goes home and to work and to Starbucks and to Walmart and to restaurants, that space is your mission field. That space is a place for you to go be a witness for the king, to be a witness for the kingdom of God. The whole reason that he invites us into the kingdom is so that we can show up in places that are hopeless and dark and powerless and then show up and go, no, 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 I've brought the power with me. I've brought the light into the darkness. I have brought the hope to the hopeless. And his name is Jesus. The last thing for king that we use kingdom power for is power to serve. This is ultimately what we see in the, in the life of our king while he's on earth. And I just want to read to you a passage in Philippians chapter 2. Don't freak out. I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon. I just want you to hear the word of God. I want you to hear this description of Jesus and I want you to hear it in light of the power that we talked about today. The reach of his power, the source of his power. He has power over the unseen world, power over the seen world. And I just want you to hear 
this description Paul writes of our king. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our king, who possessed all the power in the world and spent his life on earth serving us up until the point where he died on a cross and rose again so that we could have new life. And if Jesus spent his life as a servant, how much more should we? So he spent his whole earthly ministry to make sure to serve you and I so that we could have a relationship with the Father. And we should use our access to that power for the same thing. That we would serve other people so that we could introduce them to our King, Jesus. See, the response to the message this morning is simple. It's the same thing that John the Baptist says in several Gospels that I started with this morning. It's repent, for the kingdom of God is here. For the non-believer in the room, I would tell you that's the greatest decision you can make. Repent, turn from your sin, and put your trust and faith in Jesus. And we would love for you to do that this morning. Our prayer team will be in the corners, and they would love to walk through what that decision means for you. For believers in the room, the response is the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Turn from our sin and begin to spend time with the king, to stop giving power over things that are powerless in the presence of our Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you that you are good and faithful and powerful. God, I pray we would be reminded that the power we talked about this morning only comes from you and your spirit. So God, I pray this morning we would worship and we would worship in response to the power that you have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.